How are we doing tonight? All right, some people are happy. It's Thursday, y'all, okay? It's not Tuesday. It's not Monday. You're over hump day. It is Thursday. One more day closer to the weekend. Super exciting. Except for me as a parent, like the weekend, well, I do it. Never mind. I actually sound like a terrible person, but <laughs> it's like the weekend your kids are there. You don't get to really, never mind. That's horrible. <laughs> I'm just joking. All right. So, well, hey, my name is Ernie. Great to be with you guys. Great to be here and to be talking through this Isaiah series with you. Uh, one thing that Timmy didn't mention that I want to bring up is that a week from today is the last opportunity to register for the October vision trip. Okay. So October 8th, last opportunity to register for that one. If you want to do that one, please do it soon. It is filling up pretty quickly, and we want to make sure that you get the date that you get. Uh, We'd love for you to do that with us. Anyways, but yeah, so let's get into what we're talking about. Before we talk about Isaiah 9, that's where we're going to be. I want to tell you a story about my life, about one of the most worst experiences ever. You know, that's a great way to start a story, right? It's one of the worst experiences ever. Uh, I remember about six months of my life in college, that uh, I was a completely duplicit person. I remember that if you would have seen me from the, dis- the distance, you'd be like, Ernie's a good guy. He follows the Lord. He's on leadership with this. He's leading this youth ministry. It's great. But if you took a close-in look at who I was and what I was doing, you could tell that I was a guy that was just kind of faking it. In fact, I was a guy that was entangled in secret sin. I was a guy entangled um, in sin with my girlfriend in which the, way, the things we were doing was not honoring to God and hiding it from our friends. I had a group of people that was going out and behaving in a way that was completely opposite and contrary to the gospel. But it was just here and there. and It was secret and no one ever knew. And I remember in that time, like the biggest fear I had was that I would be exposed for being a fake. Like the thing I worried about the most is that people that I knew at church would realize what I was doing outside of church. And what it led me to do was to just to kind of spread a bunch of, just continue living that life, continue lie about where I was, and just became this like downward spiral where I just kept, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I felt so much shame and embarrassment. It was horrible. And in my mind, the worst thing could ever be found out is that people really knew where I was. Maybe that's some of you in this room that you show up here and what you do in here with a group of people that you know here is completely different than what you do when you're alone or around other people. That you're duplicit. And your biggest fear is that you would be found out. That fear happened to me, and it happened to me in a way that I did not want it to happen. In fact, I was on a summer mission trip with my girlfriend, and we were arguing all the time and being disruptive to the team because we were unhealthy and and just ridiculous. But she at least got to a point in our disagreements and fake conversations we were having with the, the college pastor and all that stuff where she just finally said, hey, this is really what's going on, and this is really what Ernie's doing, and this is really what we're doing. Out it. Right there. Laid completely all my stuff, just put on a table in front of the one person I certainly did not want to know all my stuff. Some of you, as you hear that, you're like, that is my nightmare. But to be honest, it was the best possible thing that could have happened. 
Because had I not been outed in that moment, had it not been brought to the surface, I don't know where I would be today. I wouldn't be living in the freedom that God calls me to. I wouldn't be living in the joy of a relationship with Jesus. I'd be living in this relationship that I am just constantly faking and walking away and putting on a show. Be exhausted, tired, a mess. I'm going to share more about this as we go, but the reason why I'm sharing this piece is this is exactly where Israel is on Isaiah 9. That they are following God, but a mess. They say they know him. They say they're with him. They hold on to those promises. They say they're the people of God, but everything in their life that is seen in secret says otherwise. And God is about to out them. And he's about to discipline them in a big way. And some of you out there that are feeling that feeling of like, oh my gosh, that's me. And I don't want God to out me about my hypocrisy. Tonight, I want you to see that what God talks more about is not, is not, is not their punishment or correction, and it's not condemnation for sure, but it's their redemption. See, because the redemption that I received, that I had in that moment would never have been possible if I continued out playing the games. And so often the voice I think we hear and why we don't go forward is because we're just caught up in what God we think God is going to do to us and because that's what we would do to ourselves if we were God. But that's not who he is. So let's pray. And let's understand that the rescue of God is only accomplished by the presence of God, and we need his presence. We need to stop running from it. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the truth of your word. I ask that it would edify us, it would correct us, it would encourage us, uh, that it would do its work inside of us, Lord, uh, and that it would transform us to walk more obedient with you. God, that we have a more clearer picture of who you are. And Lord, because of that, we draw near to your presence and not run from it. God, we desperately need your presence in our life because that's what changed my life. And that's what you want to do in all of ours. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. Okay, we're going to start. Chapter 9, verse 1, he says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephetel. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You look at that and you're like, Ernie, what in the world are you talking about? This sentence is going to make sense in a second. This is what you need to see from this, that when God comes near, darkness is vanquished, okay? When you look at this passage, Isaiah talks about two things. He talks about the former things and the latter things. 
When he talks about the former things, he says, gloomy, it's bad, it looks ugly. He's actually referencing the two verses before verse one and eight and 8.22, where he says, hey, there's gonna be a time of anguish, distress, and gloom, and darkness that's gonna happen. Why? Because Israel has walked away from God and is walking to other things, and God's saying, fine, you're gonna walk towards darkness, you're gonna walk away from me who is the light and walk to darkness? Great, just keep on walking that direction. You're gonna, you're gonna bear the fruit of that. And Assyria is going to come here, and I'm going to use Assyria to punish you and bring you into correction so that when you return back to me, you will, you will not continue to walk away from me, but return back to me. And that's exactly what happens. In fact, the story is referenced in, in 2 Kings 15, where the king of, of, of Assyria comes and conquers Israel, flattens the land, takes them into enslavement, and just disperse, disperse them across the nations. It would be a devastating blow to them. It'd be something that they couldn't even imagine happening. And here's the reality, guys. When we sin, when we walk away from God, all right, and even when we return, not when we're called out, there are still consequences to the things that we do. All right, there's still consequences to our sin, guys, just because, listen, just because I returned to the Lord in that moment that I had where I was, where I was found out, I still lost relationships. I still lost status. I still lost leadership ability. I mean, position at that moment. There were, I lost, and, and friendships. There's people, that, my college pastor looked at me and said, Ernie, you've been lying to me for weeks. How can I trust you? It's a consequence of my sin. It's a reality of it. And God will allow you to experience consequence in your sin. In fact, he will even discipline you in your disobedience. And it's not wrong for him to do it. It's actually very loving. It's like when my son wants to go run out in the street, I'm going to stop him. If he does it again, I'm going to pop his hand. Why? Because a pop in the hand may hurt a little bit, but a car hurts a whole lot worse. See, God will look at the people of Israel and say, like, how mean is God that he would do this, that he would give them over to the Assyrians? What's worse, being conquered by a foreign people or being conquered by your sin forever? The latter's worse. But here's the thing, God doesn't stay on this for long. He bumps in right by the time you get to halfway through verse one into verse two, he begins talking about, yes, there's gonna be this former time where, thing, where things are gonna go really bad for Israel, but then there's gonna be a time where things are gonna go really great. He starts talking about this time of glory where the land that would be cursed, that would be in darkness, would someday be in glory because the light had shone. What is this light that he's talking about? See, in the verse the word light, a good way to translate would be like an explosion of light, a light that just transforms the things around it. You want to see something really cool? Because we're about to find out that, that Isaiah is, just not just, is not just talking to the Israelites about the Assyrians, but he's talking about something much bigger, much greater. Go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. And it says this. I'm going to read it as you turn there. And Jesus... Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Caperna by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Ephetel so that what was spoken by the prophet of Israel might be fulfilled. What is Jesus saying by him, about himself? What is Matthew pointing to Jesus saying? He's saying, that, yes, that God was gonna deal with the Assyrians and bring the Israels back to where they were meant to be. But even bigger than that, God was gonna deal with a much bigger army, a much bigger problem than army. But the, the thing that captures us are sin through Jesus. That this great light, the biggest picture of it is Jesus. 
that the Assyrians and the amazing thing that God would do there was just a foreshadowing to a much bigger thing. That God is the great light, that Jesus is the great light, that he came and he would vanquish darkness, not just for Israel, but for all of us because of what he's done on the cross. That's amazing. That's incredible. That when God sees rebellious people, he doesn't run from them, but runs to them. And here's the thing. Where God goes, darkness can't stay because light overcomes the dark. He says there's gonna be a time of darkness, but God is gonna show up and that darkness is gonna be removed because God is light. First John 1 John 1.5 says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. See, when God shows up in your life, when he shows up on the scene, the darkness is removed and things are exposed. If God rests in you and the Holy Spirit's in you guys, don't be surprised when it begins to squeeze the darkness out of you. That's what it was doing for me. For six months, I was living this duplicit, fake life, and the Holy Spirit was just convicting me and pressing on and giving me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to come forward and at the point where God was like, you know what? If you're not gonna do it, I'm gonna make it happen because this can't stay here. I'm gonna squeeze it out because the presence of God is here and I'm light and, not, and darkness cannot be here. He's going to eradicate it. Verse 3, he says this, You have multiplied the nations, the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of the oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior is battled tumult. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Like, what does that say? Here's the main point right here. When God comes near, chains are broken. First point, when God comes near, the darkness goes running. This one, chains are broken. Okay? Look at what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, he's saying that the, the nations... Is going to, the nation is going to be multiplied. He's talking about Israel, that it's going to grow. In fact, it's, he's like, hey, there's a time, guys, that was dark. There's a time that's going to be bad. But when the light comes up, guess what? The nation, the, the God's people will grow, and it'll grow, and it will be, be in a season of rejoicing, not of gloom, not of darkness, but in a season of rejoicing, rejoicing in such a way, what does he say? Like a, har, like, like a farmer rejoices when the harvest finally comes in. Right? Like, look, when these guys got done with the harvest, they partied. All of their hard work was done and all of the things that they put blood, sweat, and tears in that moment was, was finished and all of the spoils of what they've done was there. And so they would throw massive parties. I don't know if they do that in Iowa, but they did it here. They did it in this time. And he's saying, that's what it's gonna be like. He's like, when the light shows up, it's gonna be a party. People are going to rejoice. 
The people of God are going to grow. And he's not just speaking about Israel, but prophetically about us because it's always been the plan of God. Look at Genesis 17, 5. He says, he looks at Abram. He says, hey, you're no longer Abram, but you're Abraham because I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And John 10, Jesus says, hey, there are some sheep that are not a part of my fold that are a part of my fold. And I need to call them in so that there will be one shepherd and one flock. That for the people of Israel, there was a promise, yes, at this moment when Isaiah is saying this, that, that God would redeem the situation that they're facing at that moment. But he's also talking about a bigger overarching thing where God would deal with an even bigger problem. And he said they're going to rejoice. Why? Because look at verses four and five. Because the light was going to do this. He was going to break the yoke, the staff, and the rod that oppressed them. For the people of Israel, they were thinking, okay, Assyria, and that's gonna happen, that's great. And Isaiah is saying, yes, that and for the oppression of sin that lays on us. And he said he's gonna do it in a certain way, Midian. You guys don't know what that means, do you? But if you were Jewish, you would know what this means. Because it was talking about when the Midianites occupied Israel, pretty much enslaved them. And a guy named Gideon, you ever heard of him? Raised up a great army. God says, it's too big, cut it down. Cut it down to 300 people. Went to face the Midianites. Says there were so many of them, it was like they were like locusts that they were like the sand on a seashore. Just uncountable. And you know what Gideon did in his 300 men? He blew his trumpets. And when that happened, it said the Midianites began to turn and fight one another. And they were gone. Is that because Gideon was such a great soldier, warrior, strategist? No. It's because it was a work of God. So what Isaiah is telling us is this, that there's going to be a day where gloom turns into light and, 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 and upset and distress turns into joy. Why? Because the biggest enemy we have in our life is going to be dealt with. And it's not by you and me, but by God. And it'd be so sure that in verse five, he talks about even the things that are left behind would be beneficial to those who have, who have victory. It'd be Jesus who dealt with it. I love how Jesus uses this idea of light in verses one and two with freedom and connects it to him because we often don't think about light as freeing. We think about it as restrictive, right? That's like, like when we go to dances, we wanna turn the lights down because we wanna be free, right? We go to a bar, they have the lights lit wide so that you do things you wanna do. You love, you love arguing with people on, on social media or something like that. Why? Because you can hide behind your keyboard. In our minds, darkness really means like, oh, actually, there's more freedom there. It's a lie. Scripture tells us in, in 2 Peter, he says, hey, it promises, sin promises freedom, but it delivers enslavement. Acts like, isn't that true? Think about it. The things that you indulge in, the things you chase after, 
Do you feel more free afterwards or more enslaved to it? It's the first lie that we see told in the Bible. The serpent looks at Adam and Eve and says, hey, listen, did God really tell you not to eat that fruit? Well, he told you that because then if you ate it, you'd be like him and you'd be free. You wouldn't eat them. We believe this lie that in the dark, there's some kind of freedom that God is holding back. But the reality is this, that God is like when he exposes these things, he exposes the reality that sin is not freeing, but enslaving. And that true freedom, true freedom is found in being free from sin and the enslavement that it brings in our life. I want to be free, don't you? I don't want to be caught up and entangled by the things that, that bring shame to me. Jesus brings that about in who he is and what he's done. Why could this freedom be ours? Why could these chains be broken? Why would this light come? How could it be accomplished? Look at verses six and seven. He says, for us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increasing of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to hold, uphold it with justice and righteousness from the time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Last point right here. When God comes near, heaven happens. See, this passage, you've heard it read before, but you've heard it read over Christmas time because it's pointing to an event that the light showed up. Think about this. Look at verse six again. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Isaiah is talking about someone who is both human and divine. And that's who Jesus was. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus showed up not taking advantage of his divinity, but being in the form of God, not taking advantage of his divinity, laid it aside and became obedient even to death on a cross. Meaning that Jesus didn't take advantage of who he was, but he was a fully God, fully man, showed up. He was born in a barn and his bed was a feeding trough. I don't have a lot of fancy things for my kids, but my kids aren't divine. And they don't sleep in a feeding trough. Guys, the picture of scripture is this. It's not man's pursuit of God, but it's God's pursuit of man. It's God coming to us. It's God beckoning us. And he came not to be your buddy, not to be your personal coach, but to be your king. 
Look, look what it says. It says the government shall be upon his shoulders, meaning that he would bear the government, that he would be your king. And what kind of king would he be? A wonderful counselor, meaning wise, having wisdom beyond humanity, a mighty God. He's strong, not weak in character, conviction, or might. There is nothing that you can bump into that he would have a problem with. Everlasting Father, he cares. Prince of peace, he produces peace. He's the leader that we need. He's the king that we desire. Do you see Jesus as that? Because when you see Jesus as that, it's a whole lot easier, guys, to stop hiding. It's a whole lot easier. If you believe that he's good and his wisdom is good, then you would trust his word over what the voices say in your head about what you should do. If you believe that he's mighty, then all your hopes and cares are in him and nothing can knock you down. If you believe that he's everlasting father, that he cares about you, then you know he's not leading you to your destruction, but to your good. If he's the prince of peace, then you know he's leading you to a place that you're at peace with him and with man. What's the thing that you don't recognize him to be? See, in this season, it's going to become really popular to place your hope in somebody has a D next to their name or an R next to their name. But they're not him. And none of the things, even if it's good policy, whatever, are not going to bring about what he talks about in, in verse 7. Because this is the king, here's the kingdom. See, when God draws near, when Jesus draws near, not only is our, is, is our chains dropped, not only does the darkness run, but heaven happens. You realize that, right? That the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And the kingdom is established because of what the work of Jesus has done. And this is what the kingdom would look like. Increasing his government and peace, there will be no end in the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What is he saying? He's saying that the kingdom of God is a place where peace is there always and it's always increasing and it's without end. Isn't that amazing? Don't you want that? Heck yeah, I want that. That's not my life. But that's the kingdom where I'm going. It says he will establish it and sustain it. It will be a place of justice that will be forever. And the zeal of God, the infinite zeal of God will bring it to pass. You don't have to bring it to pass. God will do it. He has already accomplished it in Christ. We will experience it when we are with him. Don't you want this kingdom? I mean, I understand now, like I look at this, I understand now when you think through this kind of stuff, why the Jews searched the scriptures for years and years and years trying to figure out who this person would be that would bring about this, that would be this kind of king and bring about this kind of kingdom. I understand why the disciples, as they're walking along with Jesus on the road, and they don't recognize him because he's in disguise. And he begins to share with them the word of God and how it relates to the kingdom of God. And they realize who he is. And he disappears. And what do they say? They go, oh, did your heart not burn within you? 
as he opened the scriptures and explained the kingdom of God. Guys, this is amazing. This is beautiful. Because God has placed something inside of you. Not that you would just want an absence of darkness in your life, but that you would want the presence of light. Not that you would just want the absence of oppression of sin, but the liberation of freedom. Not just the absence of corruption, but the presence of justice, peace, and wisdom, and mercy, and God. And those things are only found in him. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus accomplished it with his presence by showing up, by living the life that we couldn't live, by dying on a cross and defeating death and sin and raising three days later so that we could be a part of this kingdom and he could be our king and he could break the chains that oppress us and he would pull us out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we could proclaim the excellencies of him called us out of it. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are not distant. Thank you that you are not far. Thank you that you draw near to us. God, I ask in this moment, Lord, if there are people right now that have just been running from you, there's things in their life, there's things that they do that they hide. Lord, I ask that you would expose it. Because in the exposure of that, Lord, we can stop playing games with you. Lord, that's what was over me. I just stopped playing games, got real, and experienced the presence of you in my life. Found freedom from those things. Got out of the darkness, away from the shame and condemnation. And began to experience the nearness of you, which is heaven. Heaven is gonna be great because you're there not because of anything else. Heaven is gonna be great because you're gonna be this kind of leader that produces this kind of place. And you're present with us now. Thank you, Jesus, that when we run, you chase after. Amen.